Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So imagine the situation. You were a Border Force official in May, June last year. There are very few people going abroad still. Someone comes up to your security station. They put a suitcase through the scanner. But you see something on the machine that looks very odd. And you open it up and, and suddenly you find large wads of cash inside. And we begin here in the United Kingdom and reports that border officials detained people carrying suitcases of cash from the government's COVID loan scheme. That's according to a new investigation by The Times newspaper. There were very few checks in the banks, so they would then go off and get 50 grand in their account from a bank within 24 or 48 hours. They'd then try and take that money out in cash from various cash registries, put that all in a suitcase and then attempt to leave the country. From people nabbed fleeing the country with suitcases full of banknotes to a former pub landlord accused of cashing his loan and sending it to the terrorist group ISIS, case after case is emerging of how Covid money may have been misused. A whole lot of cash was given out in a hurry. Most of it went to help out legitimate businesses weather the pandemic, but not all. And now questions are being raised about where it all went. So, what went wrong? And is the government doing enough to fix it? You're listening to Stories of Our Times, The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, so what happened with all the COVID loan money? Hi there, I'm George Greenwood. I'm the investigations reporter at The Times. Uh, My specialism is using open data, public records, transparency requests for investigative reporting. I specialise in forcing the government to give any information it doesn't want to. George isn't exaggerating about his prowess for digging up stuff that people, especially those in government, want hidden. He's been referred to in government correspondence as both ever active and unreasonably persistent. For this series, George teamed up with another Times journalist. Hi there, I'm James Hurley. I'm Enterprise Editor at The Times. Among other things, I write about private companies for the newspaper, which is uh, where my interest in the pandemic loan schemes came about because I was covering the extraordinary circumstances around them being set up back in 2020. George and James have been investigating these pandemic loan schemes and what went wrong. But before we get into what went wrong we have to look at where it all started. 
It was March 2020, right at the start of the pandemic. Small businesses were in crisis and the government was under intense pressure to help them out. I just want to bring you latest on this uh, coronavirus situation. This is a breaking uh, news story in a developing situation. We're hearing that two patients in England have tested positive. Stock markets opened in a state of high anxiety, which gave way to panic. Stocks, they fell hard again today. The FTSE 100 closed down more than 10%. Economic fears and many unknowns rattling investors. Look at this. 2020 coronavirus COVID-19, that is the third biggest weekly fall that we've seen since this index was created. As the virus called COVID-19 spreads, so does fear and panic, closing businesses. It's not just the major companies watching the coronavirus closely, small businesses may be hit even harder. An economic shock of unknowable scale is upon us. The message from business large and small, we face disaster if we don't get help. Rishi Sunak said the country is in an economic emergency. This is a time to be bold, a time for courage. The Chancellor is splashing the cash on a scale we haven't seen since the banking crisis. He vowed that the government would do whatever it takes. Just 33 days into his job. Today I am making available an initial £330 billion of guarantees. We must act like any wartime government and do whatever it takes to support our economy. These certainly were unprecedented circumstances and, and the government found itself under enormous pressure from business groups, the press, MPs, the public, you know, people running small and medium-sized companies to do something to help. So today we are announcing a new microloan scheme providing a simple, quick easy solution for those in need of smaller loans. Businesses will be able to apply for these new bounce-back loans for 25% of their turnover, up to a maximum of £50,000, with the government paying the interest for the first 12 months. You know, it's absolutely extraordinary amount of money. And the, the reason that this came into being was because there were already emergency schemes set up. And the feeling was that it was just taking too long to get money to the front line to these businesses that so urgently needed help. So the bounce back loan was designed with few checks at its heart. So money could get to the front line very, very quickly. I'm pleased to say that these loans will be available from 9am next Monday. There will be no forward-looking tests of business viability, no complex eligibility criteria, just a simple, quick, standard form for businesses to fill in. Can I ask you what actually the process was that people wanting the money had to go through to get the cash? I mean, let's suppose that I wanted some of that bounce-back money. We're back now in that period in 2020. What was I actually asked to do? Well, it really was very simple. And I think a lot of people who didn't use the scheme were a little bit surprised to learn how the, the process works. It's important to say it did vary from bank to bank. But basically, the process was you went on your bank's website, and there was a form on the website with a few questions on it. And you self attested what your turnover was for 2019. And wrote down, say, for example, oh, well, I turned over 250 grand last year, and then you could get a 50,000 pounds loan, the loan was supposed to be 25% of your 2019 turnover. So you 
you can probably see where I'm going with this. Lots and lots <laughs> of people have, have exaggerated their 2019 turnover, to put it politely, in order to get larger loans. Some of that might be seen as kind of soft or in inverted commas soft fraud because maybe they wanted a bit more money to just to get through the pandemic. But equally, there are people who basically had no trade at all and therefore didn't qualify for a loan and have said they're turning over 300 grand or whatever and have been given a £50,000 loan. We've heard from sources that banks were being told that you need to get this money out within 48 hours. The very significant fraud risk in the bounce back scheme in particular was kind of in the scheme by design really. Normally when you give a loan you do a wide array of checks and one of those is checking a company's house where you can get details about how the companies were performing prior to getting the loan out. Companies House is actually the United Kingdom's registrar of companies. It's run by the government and companies are required by law to submit financial records there each year. Now, in some of the case studies I went through for the investigation last week, even I could go onto Companies House, see that the companies were almost in the state of collapse before the loan was given or were nearly dormant and had no trading. And this is just in the publicly available figures. And it's clear that the banks did not were not given time or did not, under the system, set up procedures to spend 10 minutes checking companies' house records for these companies. And that's not the only part of the scheme that lacked oversight. I think about 60% of the money had been lent before it was realised that there was no ability to basically check if people were going from bank to bank with the same company and picking up multiple bounce-back loans. And that seems to have happened quite a lot. Or, for example, you couldn't check whether a company was already under investigation by HMRC or was set up after the scheme was launched, another breach. But so many people have have, have managed to secure loans despite not being eligible for for them. Whose actual job was it? to look at whether or not the money was going to the right people and the right places? Well, the problem with this scheme is that effectively, by, by the design of the scheme, there wasn't anybody. With the banks, they had very limited due diligence requirements under the scheme. They had to do these basic checks, which is looking to see if the person's a convicted fraudster or not. But beyond that, there weren't any checks. There was not credit checks on these loans because credit checks take time and actually it's part of the, the, the compromise with the scheme was that we weren't going to do credit checks. James, what's been described here, and I think we should get it clear, is a mechanism whereby the banks actually did the loaning, but presumably the government underwrote their loans. Well, well, that's right. So in the bounce back loan scheme, in theory, the taxpayer is 100% on the hook because, of course, no sensible bank would have lent like this if it didn't have that state guarantee underpinning them. And indeed, some bankers will privately tell you that they did warn the Treasury and the business department that if they designed the scheme like this, there were going to be lots of fraudsters. And here we are. That's indeed exactly what's happened. So the government created this loan scheme to get cash quickly to businesses. But some people were warning that there was a fraud risk. To understand where these warnings came from, you have to understand the structures for running these loans. So banks are the ones who actually made the loans and the guarantees and scheme structure would then be managed by the British Business Bank from there. I think the easiest way of thinking about the British Business Bank, which technically isn't a bank at all, is basically the arm of government, which is an economic development agency. That's basically what the British Business Bank is. Now, the guy who was running this at the time of the pandemic basically asked for ministerial direction because he was so concerned about the fraud risk in bounce-back loans. Sorry, can I just stop you? My understanding is that 
civil servants ask for a ministerial direction where it's not clear to them that there's going to be a financial benefit from a course of action. Well, it, it, exactly. It was asking, in this case, the business secretary to sit back and have a think about whether this was an appropriate use of, of taxpayers' resources. So it's, it's kind of interesting now that the British Business Bank does find itself kind of at the centre of lots of criticism about the fraud losses in this scheme, but the organisation had itself flagged up the fraud risk. So I do kind of think ultimately go back to the Treasury, because although, yes, the, the business bank was in charge of it, actually, really, all, all roads lead to the Treasury and all roads lead to Rishi Sunak. So overall, how much money was loaned out to businesses and how quickly did it get to the businesses who asked for it? Well, very quickly indeed, and it was about £47.4 billion. Well, let's go back to when we first realised that things were going wrong. And I mean, not people who were on the inside realising it, but us more generally, because I seem to remember that at the time, ordinary commentators like me, people who don't necessarily understand the ins and outs of it, we're looking at the furlough scheme and we're looking at these sorts of schemes and saying, it's Rishi Sunak's done a good job here. He's actually got a lot of money to where it's got to go, lots of marks to him. So when did it first start to become apparent that actually an awful lot of money had gone to people who shouldn't have had it? Well, the issue is with all this stuff is that it's great when you're giving out sweeties, but then you have to pay the, you know, you have to pay for them. The reason we're now understanding quite how many problems there were with the scheme is because there's a 18 month or two year delay between getting the loan and having to start paying it back. So what's happening at the moment is a lot of companies that either took these loans out in bad faith or fraudulently, or even companies that just struggling to pay them back in the normal way that, that companies default on their loans are now just not paying the banks the money that they owe them. And, and the result of that is that insolvency practitioners get called in. In some, in most cases, this will be a case of, oh, you took the loan out, you couldn't afford it, you failed to make your payments, and that's fine. But what the insolvency practitioners are finding in a lot of cases is actually uh, misuse of these loans. It, it is cases where people paid the money to themselves, went on gambling sprees with them, redecorated their garden, bought watches, all, all this kind of stuff. And we're finding about that now because the insolvency practitioners have now gone in after they failed to make the loans good and are actually finding this sort of avalanche of horror when they start looking at the books of all these companies. So in other words, there was a time lag on it. So a journalist like you, George, might have expected something like this to be the case, but you couldn't know for a while. And that partially explains the delay. So the, the way we got this story was looking through the records of the insolvency service. So... When a, a director of a company that, that engages in misconduct can be disqualified to protect the public from them operating other companies. So the case studies from our piece, we were able to go into these records and every second or third case that's currently live is bounce back related. In fact, one in three of these cases as of late March was some sort of bounce back misuse. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Coming up, He's called the government's anti-fraud efforts a dad's army operation. It just really smacks of a cover-up. But first, a word from a colleague. Hello, I'm Jane Mulkerens, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Well, we'll come on to a little bit more of that in a moment. But in the meantime, you've had some particularly lurid examples of abuse of the system, which I think are worth telling the listeners about. I mean, perhaps my favourite, if that's the right word, is the builder who managed to get a 50 grand bounce back loan. Claiming he had his company had a turnover of £200,000. But in fact, when the insolvency practitioners went in to look at his company, he turned over £600 in the last few years. And actually, at the time he made the loan out, he had a balance of £2.72. He then admits the insolvency practitioner in the sort of follow-up email saying, where did the money go? Something along the lines of, I spent it all on poker games and I'm not proud of myself. Um, huh. it, you know, it's, 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 just, it's, just, it's just beyond belief. And he's being quite honest about it as well. So, you know, others, others have been less so. Uh, I remember a chap who used bounce back loan money to finance his uh, criminal car theft gang, which involved moving Range Rovers and things like that over to, to Dubai. The guy had 48 previous convictions on his criminal record and he secured bounce back loans. Sources at the Home Office have told me of numerous examples uh, of people trying to flee the country with cash taken from these loans, uh, stuffed in suitcases and taken over the border. In one case, uh, a recipient cashed in the money and has allegedly then sent that money onto ISIS in Syria. Now, he's got a hearing in, in July, he hasn't pled yet, and, and he will probably face trial later this year. But if this is the case, it's a pretty shocking misuse of the scheme. So there's just a possibility that some of the bounce-back money where was due to be given to terrorists? Well, I think in this case, the allegation is it was given to terrorists. Um, this is just the first wave. And also, what has to be said is these people tend to be the less savvy they actually did it in their own name for example <laughs> company's house at the moment if i want to set up a fake company all i need to do is pay 12 pounds put a fake name in and set up a company so lots of people who did bounce back fraud will not be real people or exist or if they are real people they'll be some poor person in, in some poor foreign country who was paid a bit of money to put their name to a company right uh, given 
the burden on the police of investigating this sort of avalanche of cases, it may well be we don't ever see or even get close to seeing this money again. One of the things I, I, I'm wondering as you're talking here now is whether the word didn't go out to lots of people, word of mouth almost, when this scheme was started up and the various schemes were starting up to say, look, this is free money you're going to get here and go and get it while the getting is good. Well, exactly. And, and actually, anecdotally, from various financial fraud next police officers I've talked to, they just say they're aware of conversations down the pub between people, just saying, hey, look, you know, you can get 50 grand. No, you never have to pay it back. It's great. And I, and I, I think a lot of people, be it before pandemic or when they were chatting on in their sort of Zoom pub quizzes, you know, in sort of April and May 2020, just openly discussed that this would be possible and that there really wasn't much to make you pay it back at the end of the day. And, and I, I think there was a cult, almost a culture of knowing what you could get and, and, and taking it. I think that's right. And I just wanted to add on that. There's a lot of people who have t technically defrauded the scheme because either they weren't eligible for the money or they've used it for a purpose that wasn't their business or indeed both and have used it for things like, you know, going on a, an extravagant holiday or helping to finance a second home purchase or something like that. So it was a breach of the scheme's rules, but but actually they will pay the money back. So then you, you get into this philosophical question of given the scale of fraud on the scheme, you know, should we just turn a blind eye to that and tackle the people who've really rinsed it? Wow. James, how much taxpayer money do we think has been dishonestly claimed in this way? So the total size of the scheme was about uh, £47 billion. And initially, there was an expectation that about 10% of that might have been lost to fraud, which obviously gives you like, you know, getting quite close towards 5 billion quid, absolutely extraordinary sums of money. That estimate has been revised down to about 7% now. So I think you'd be looking at about 3.7 billion pounds is, is the current fraud risk. It's all very uncertain because it's going to take a few years to unwind and it's going to depend on a few things as to what that final figure ends up at. But broadly speaking, we are looking at about 4 billion pounds worth probably, and that's just on fraud. If you then move on to losses on the scheme, you know, in inverted commas, more honest losses of the scheme, businesses simply going bust because they didn't make it, that's takes you up to about £17 billion. Pounds. And again, it's important to remember this, this is just one scheme. Right, okay. So, so about £4 billion on fraud, maybe £13 billion more on companies who won't be able to pay back. And possibly we might even think that it was a good thing to give some of them the money to tide them over. Well, that's right. I mean, philosophically, you might look at this scheme and think maybe actually, given the circumstances we're in, do do we just say, well, this was effectively pretty close to what economists call a, a helicopter money scheme, where you're <laughs> basically just injecting cash into the economy. But once taxpayers realise what that actually means, and when people start to realise the details of some of this stuff, I think that's where we've seen some of the shock emerge. Right. Okay. Now, as the story began to break about the scale of fraud, James, how did the government respond? I think the government's response has been to, which on one level is fair enough, to remind everyone of the circumstances that we were in at the time. Everyone was clamouring for this scheme and, and we did what you asked for. Although that I think that response is fair, it does kind of lose some of the subtleties around, you know, well, did the scheme have to be designed like this and is enough effort going into recovering some of the money that's been stolen? It has been a, a source of, I think, what I'd call increasing embarrassment and anxiety for the government. My Lords, you can see is my deeply held conviction that the current state of affairs is not acceptable. 
Given that I'm the Minister for Counter-Fraud, it feels somewhat dishonest to stay on in that role if I'm incapable of doing it properly, let alone defending the, the, our track record. It is that is for this reason that I have sadly decided to tender my resignation as a Minister across the Treasury and Cabinet Office with immediate effect. A lot of this has been set off by the resignation of uh, the government's own anti-fraud minister, Lord Agnew, back in January. And it was a, a fairly dramatic moment, kind of what I'd call almost a mic drop moment in the uh, House of Lords, where he uh, basically gave an eviscerating uh, speech about what he saw as the, the government's failures of oversight of the bounce back loan scheme and said that his job was just basically impossible because no one was listening to what he was saying about how these loans should be looked at and recovered and what he saw as basically a farcical lack of oversight and data of of these loans. The oversight by both Bayes and the British Business Bank of the panel lenders of BBLs has been nothing less than woeful. They have been assisted by the Treasury who appear to have no knowledge or little interest in the consequences of fraud to our economy or society. He resigned, but his attacks on the on the government's handling of the bounce back loan scheme in particular haven't stopped. Uh, he's called the government's anti fraud efforts a dad's army operation. You know, it's been pretty aggressive stuff. Uh, George, how transparent has the government been in addressing your requests for information, putting out details of who the loans went to, and coming clean about what happened? Not at all. Uh, and the British Business Bank is spending taxpayers' money which is likely to be in the tens of thousands of pounds in in legal fees, to try and block the release of this information. They make excuses that just MPs on the Treasury Select Committee have described as extraordinary. They claimed in their submissions that releasing this information, which would tell which companies got this money, could lead to vigilante activity. Now, I don't know many vigilantes who spend their time on government databases looking for targets of of companies to, to harass. And, and it just really smacks of a cover-up. The fact that they're, they're now actually using our money to try and prevent us from knowing what went wrong and, and what lessons could be learned, it's, it's, it's infuriating. James, finally, where will this story go next, do you think? I think there's a lot more to run on this. We're going to see more embarrassing details of people who've secured the loans through the various schemes. I suspect that eventually we will by hook or by crook, get more detail of borrowers, for example. And we'll also we're going to get a lot more data on what the government's losses are beginning to look like. Maybe to think of something positive that might come out of it, it perhaps will shine a light on what many people see as a very inadequate anti-fraud system in the UK that maybe most ordinary people haven't really thought about or been exposed to before. But when you start thinking of billions and billions of pounds of, of taxpayers' money being lost, it does start to bring those kind of previously quite niche conversations right into the spotlight. And finally for you, George, are your journalistic eyes still gleaming at what might emerge from your next Freedom of Information request? They always are. I have an inbox chock full of appeals. The problem with this this issue also highlights quite how undermined that the UK Freedom of Information system is. Now, we probably will get uh, disclosure on all this stuff eventually as it goes to the courts, but it sh- we really shouldn't have to. So I think one of the problems of this scheme is it highlights just how a lack of transparency around how you operate things actually costs the taxpayers money uh, and prevents lessons being learned on how to run the government better. And I think this is not some theoretical nice thing to have. It really hurts us all when we don't have adequate transparency at the right time. In response to this story, a Treasury spokesman said... 
Last year, we stopped nearly £2.2 billion in potential fraud from the Bounce Back Loan Scheme. Our new Taxpayer Protection Task Force, made up of nearly 1,300 staff, is expected to recover an additional £1 billion of taxpayers' money. There are active criminal investigations and 49 arrests have been made over such cases. The British Business Bank said it ensured that key counter-fraud measures consistent with the self-certification design of the scheme were in place from the outset. The British Business Bank has worked with lenders and across government to prevent, detect and counter-fraud and put in place as quickly as possible additional measures to further mitigate fraud risks. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, James Hurley, Enterprise Editor at The Times, and George Greenwood, Investigations Reporter at The Times. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Chris Wade and Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes@thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.